Good afternoon, and welcome to MGO Podcast. Welcome to MGO Podcast 15.9. We had some technical difficulties getting this up, but now it's up. And it's weird, and there's a Craig segment at the beginning, and then there's no more Craig. And things didn't go the way we wanted it to, but that's okay. We'll get them again next week. Blog podcast. We have a bit of a different setup this week because it is the bye week, and Seth has gone somewhere nice. <laughs> so Do we know where somewhere nice? Is? I don't remember. He said he was on Bourbon Street, so I was like, "Oh, well, that sounds nice." That sounds like uh, New Orleans. Yes, probably. So he's not here. Uh, Dave has opted out because uh, he hasn't thought about basketball in nine months. So we have Craig Ross here. Howdy. Uh, and joining us later for the actual basketball segments will be Matt D of Endless Motor. But first, of course, we have to start off with the sign gate developments that have uh, developed uh-huh. since Thursday when we last addressed it. Um, <clears throat> the developments that have developed are basically nothing. <laughs> so there was a story released, I think, by Dellinger, who was like, Ohio State asked the college football playoff if in-person scouting was allowed last year, and they said yes. Really? Yeah. And that's uh, just for the semifinals, hypothetically. Okay. Um, They have since changed that rule, and the answer is now no. But there's nothing important in the story. The only thing that is sort of interesting about the story is that it's not a story. So it kind of feels like they're petering out uh, with stuff. There is one more thing that I'm aware of. That has been rumored, and that is Stallions actually physically went to a game that's going to come out. I don't think that's really going to move the needle either because it was one game. And everything he's already done is like perma show cause. So it kind of feels like we have the outline of the facts, and now it's just like what happens now. It, it's sort of curious because everyone starts their articles saying uh, uh, sign stealing isn't illegal. And everyone steals steals signs. I would add to that that it's also encouraged. Otherwise, they have easy ways of of resolving the issue. And and because they didn't resolve the issue uh, by an almost no-cost item, it seems to me then the NCAA is saying, well, not only is it not illegal, it's encouraged. And then people go crazy thereafter because what's happened is apparently Stallions had minions – at games. other games, right. taping stuff. And right. there was an outbreak of various people taping games this weekend right. and posting stuff online. And I think it's fair to say that Stallions is an imbecile. And yeah. I mean, that's not in question at right. this point. Um, what it, it is sort of hard to envision the NCAA really hammering Michigan for this when if it was really that much of an issue – they could have fixed it 30 years ago. Well, and two years ago, they almost fixed They it. almost repealed they, the law because right. they said that it was a minimal advantage to actually right. scout in person now that everything's on tape. Now, I don't know 
I don't know if that's going to have a lot of traction with the NCAA, but what they have done recently is they have moved away from punishments that affect players that really had nothing to do with any of this. And this is the heart of that. The one thing that I do think could be a problem going forward for Michigan is that they have passed a revision to the law that any of your underlings get charged with something. As the head coach, you get charged with it too. Uh, deeply ironic that Michigan apparently is the first program to run up against this. Uh, what the NCAA does have is they have a series of potential mitigating factors. Uh, I have a, a tab up about this. All right. So applicable Division One bylaw 11-1111, responsibility of a head coach. An institution's head coach shall be held responsible for the head coach's actions and the actions of all institutional staff members who report directly or indirectly to the head coach. Charging. If there is a level one or two violations in a sport program, these will definitely be at least level two. The enforcement staff will charge a head coach responsibility by a, a, will charge a head coach responsibility violation at the same level as the underlying violations. Now, examples of factual information that may inform on AMFs. I don't know what that is. And penalties include but are not limited to whether the head coach through both words and actions did the following one establish that compliance is a shared responsibility and the ultimate responsibility for the integrity of the program set clear expectations that all coaches, staff and student athletes should comply with NCAA legislation and that failure to do so would res result in clearly articulated discipline, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> these things don't sound like things that Jim Harbaugh will do be able to argue successfully in front of an NCAA infractions committee because he's coming off a three-game suspension from earlier in the year. He essentially got that three-game suspension, we believe, for blowing off the process. And just generally, these aren't like Harbaugh things. Like, okay, I'm going to have a real detailed record <laughs> of all the things I told my staff about compliance. Yeah. That's not how Jim Harbaugh rolls. So there, there is some way – that this could be mitigated if you could show that within the program you were doing a lot of compliance stuff and it was very important to you. But this, combined with the incident that led to the three-game suspension, Jim Harbaugh has left himself open. Yeah. I mean, my question then is, given Harbaugh's nature, isn't it incumbent upon the athletic director to make sure that, you know, yeah. even if Harbaugh doesn't do it, if if Ward says, okay, we're going to have a meeting now, we're going to sit down with everyone and talk to them, and even if he leads the meeting and not Harbaugh, Harbaugh can say, yeah, we held this meeting. And it seems to me there's a failure there also. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially after the Shemi Schembechler debacle where they tried to hire someone without even doing a cursory search of his social media, announced it. Announced like that's that yeah. that's an athletic director level decision is announcing it for them to not immediately put in a lot of safeguards that should have resulted in Connor Stallions not being an employee of the University of Michigan. Mm. I mean, I think I've about had it. You've had it with with Ward Manuel. Ward Manuel. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, I've been reticent to get on this train because I <laughs> I felt like he's just a kind of behind the scenes guy who doesn't want to be in the spotlight. But feels like a lot of stuff has not worked out well. Um, and it also feels like guys like Shemi and Connor Stallion should never have been hired. And, they, and, no. and, and some, even if 
And you can lay that at, at Jim Harbaugh's feet, but yeah. you know when you hire Jim Harbaugh, when you decide to keep Jim Harbaugh, you you know what you're getting. You got to be aware. And Jim Harbaugh is a very good football coach, absolutely. But he comes with rough edges, costs these things, and you, as the athletic director, your first job is to smooth all those rough edges down and to prevent anything like this from happening. And yeah, Jim Harbaugh doesn't get along with people all the time. Like there's tiffs and stuff like it's just hard to work for him. I think we even know that's an established fact. But if you're committed to this, you got to be committed to keeping him from hurting himself. Yeah, you which need a has not been wall. which is not happening. Yeah. wall around him and it seems to me that's the athletic department and wards responsibility. So you, you know, he comes in and he wants to hire guy A, you say, "Okay, but let's vet him." Right. And it seems like that hasn't happened. So, but bringing this back around to the effect that this has on Michigan. I mean, the rule is always bet on the NCAA not doing anything. And if Michigan is minimally competent, what they're going to do is they're going to take their 90 days. They're going to file a lot of stuff. They're going to turn this into a two or three year long process. And by the end of that process, everybody's going to be like, oh, the sign stuff. Who cares about that? They beat the brakes off Penn State. If they win the national title, you know. It was after all this stuff came out. Nobody's going to be able to be like, oh, this is this has shattered the integrity of the competition, which is a joke when <laughs> like the SEC and Ohio State have been trying to do that for 40 years. Like Maurice Claret just tweeted that he was going to go to Michigan's home games and tape their signals so that they get it. Maurice, Maurice Claret. Claret. I thought he was in prison. Is mad about – Michigan upsetting the integrity of the competition. A guy who once accused Ohio State of giving him a free loaner car, giving him grades for classes he did not attend, and giving him a no-show job. This guy is trying to get on his high horse about Michigan defaming the sanctity of the competition. Get real. Get real. But we're getting a little bit off track again. So – the NCAA historically has not done anything to anybody. They didn't do anything to Kansas. They didn't do anything to Tennessee. And by anything, I mean competition level stuff, vacating things. There was some vacation in the Kansas case because they were playing a guy who was deemed ineligible. That will not be the case here. And I think it's going to be hard to to make the case that it is a major competitive advantage when everybody else has signed stealers and you could have gotten rid of this for the equivalent of $20. Yeah. One of the amusing things to me is there's a, a video that's been put up, I think, by Michigan, or excuse me, Ohio State. And it was at the Ohio State game last year. And it's a third and Ohio State has a third and four at the four yard line. And all of a sudden, uh, Michigan is pointing their hands up yeah. to say it's a pass. Well, what do you think? A soft-ass team like Ohio State is doing third and four at yeah. the goal line. They're passing. Well, right? and, they're, and, and then they scored on it anyway. So I mean, I'm not sure this was a, you know. Well, there's a there's a incident this weekend where there was a shot from the Ohio State game where there's a Wisconsin staffer mm-hmm. uh, waving a huge plane to the defense. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, must have got their signals. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but one thing that has. Uh, irritated is like the main character syndrome from all the sign stealing people because they get all these quotes from these guys who steal signs and of course they're going to make it seem like the biggest deal in the world it's their job 
it's like they're like, oh, yeah, we got them. And there was an yeah. article about TCU changing its signs but leaving in dummies that they had used before to trick Michigan. And Dellinger said that well, Michigan gave up 51 points in that game, which is 24 more than they gave up in any game of the season. Without mentioning that, they threw two pick sixes. Yeah. TCU had 15 possessions to score on. And their EPA, which is expected points added per play in that game, was 54th percentile, which is completely reasonable when you have a very good offense going up against a very good defense. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't pass the smell test, especially because we chart these games. So I went back and I looked at the TCU uh, UFR. First half UFR for the defense was plus six. The only minus two Michigan had on those two touchdown drives <clears throat> was Michigan completely failing to replace the guy who blitzed off the corner, which had nothing to do with the TCU play call. It was just a bust on Michigan's part. So there's absolutely no evidence that TCU gained any advantage over Michigan despite supposedly being informed that they needed to change their calls and tricking Michigan, quote unquote, into um, <clears throat> uh, wrong signals. So I just can't imagine, given that, given that this example held up as the reason Michigan lost to TCU, which has no backing, like this is not a major competitive advantage. And if it was, you know what you would see on game days. People would be wearing wristbands. Yeah. I mean, or do what Michigan State did in their very close game last week. They, <laughs> you know, they would just have the, the – Well, after the first couple the of drives, line. they just stopped. They're just like, all right, we're just going to single signal all our stuff. Yeah. And it didn't matter. Like, yeah. it didn't matter at the beginning. It didn't matter at right. the end. And the only reason that they did that was to, like – it was PR, right? <laughs> if it was really a concern, they would have kept doing it. Or, again, they would have gone to wristbands. Like, there's a way to solve this. That completely removes sign stealing and just putting away the NCAA. Like, they don't want to do it for bad reasons, warranty violations, garbage like that. That, that. that stuff is garbage. Yeah, I know it's garbage. But even if you took that at face value, if you're Ryan Day and in 2021, you think Michigan has your signals, and in 2022, you're having an offensive lineman saying, yeah, we changed some things up, but we couldn't change anything up. What, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, College football coaches are the most paranoid people in America. And despite that, almost nobody goes to an unbreakable cipher where you got 600 plays, well, 300 plays on your, on your wrist and someone just holds up a number and the numbers never repeat. That's right. uncrackable. So if it's that much of an advantage, you would see wristbands universally in college football. Well, the, the answer, of course, is that it's not that much of an advantage. One and two, scouting uh, live at the game is at is at a complete minimal point of right. that particular non-advantage. I mean, which is why the NCAA was about ready to get rid of it yeah. two years ago because they said, "Hey, this is such a minimal deal." But so to finally <laughs> wind back to what I think my summary of the situation is here is: given everything we know about the NCAA's recent direction in terms of punishment. Given everything we know about the way college football has not addressed or even attempted to address this issue, both on the team level and the NCAA level, I can't imagine that anything happens to this team before the end of this season. I have been assured 
by people in the know that any attempt to give Michigan a postseason ban outside the bounds of the NCAA's normal process will be met with an immediate lawsuit. Well, they haven't filed a notice yet, have they? They have not. And Michigan has 90 days to respond. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> well... I mean, there was some uh, thought that the Big Ten could step in. The Big Ten is unlikely to step in. So the main concern for me is that they get through this process and they drop a bomb on Jim Harbaugh. They give him a show cause. And I am pretty confident that all the rest of the stuff is going to go away. And I'm pretty confident that they don't like Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> And I'm pretty confident that they can make a reasonable case given this new rule that Jim Harbaugh is responsible personally for Connor Stallions. Whether that's fair or not, I'm not going to address at this moment. But <clears throat> I think it's like 50-50 that he gets a show cause some year or two down the road. Um, and if, if and it's 50-50 that that reality is the case, is it 50-50 who won't be back next year? I don't know. Well, it's like there's an article out today about how the NFL won't bail him out, but I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, I think if he gets, if he gets a good job offer, but you know, he's Jim Harbaugh and he's sixty, and he's just going through all this stuff. And I've heard that the Chargers were interested in him, and now they are not. And uh, the one I can think of is the Bears. One he played there. Yeah. Uh, that one, you know, the Bears are pretty desperate to have something going. Yeah. He is a real coach. He is a I real mean, coach. Obvious. I mean, he's one of the few coaches ever who's been a success in the NFL and at the NCAA level. It's hard, you know, there have been very few who, who've done that in their career. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, you can probably name them on a couple of one hand for sure. And, uh, and so someone in the NFL should want him, but he tends to rub people the wrong way and as man, yeah. his boss he's hard on bosses let's put it that way yeah he's hard he's hard to work with yeah. and that but the reason that he's still around is he's obviously a very high quality coach yeah. so you know i i couldn't tell you where this was going long term but as of today i am very confident that nothing about the 23 2023 season is going to go off the books all right we're going to take a break come back and talk about the basketball team Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner, Founder and President at Peak Wealth Management. 
check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. When you're watching the game, everyone knows what the score is. But you might be at halftime of your career. Do you know what the score is? Are you winning? Or do you need to play catch-up? If you're behind in the second half of your career financially, we may need to run a hurry-up offense like John Navarre in the 2003 game at Minnesota, or run a three-quarter court press after a made free throw like Coach Howard likes to call. My team of CFPs at Peak Wealth Management are here to help you understand what the score is and what you need to do to win. Your spreadsheet doesn't tell you the score like we can. If you're going to spend all your free time watching replays of the 2021-2022 Ohio State games on repeat, you need to outsource your financial planning and investing with us at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, our goal is to help you retire with peak confidence. Winewood Organics is Ann Arbor's only cannabis microbusiness for adults 21 and older. They're a grower, processing lab, and dispensary rolled into one, cultivating and producing flour, old-school hash, edibles, CBD products, and more. You can find them across the street from Kroger on South Maple, just west of downtown, and at winewoodorganics.com. Veterans and MedCard holders save 10% on all orders, and first-time customers save 25%, as long as you're not wearing scarlet and gray. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call a criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. night game against purdue coming up a night game against purdue in november it's gonna be cold tailgating is dumb go to venue you can go to venue you can be warm have delicious food i recommend the chef's salad even though that's not an appropriate tailgate food you can walk to the game afterwards and come back to venue warm up with a hot toddy have an excellent time all right, now is the time on Sprockets when we talk about the basketball team. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the mgoblogstore.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Matt Demers, Realtor and Lender, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Human Element, Winewood Organic, Signal Wire, Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning, and the Autograph Rewarding Fans app. Also, venue by 4M where we are not recording live right now because of bi-week stuff. <laughs> um, so 
So on the previous segment, I promised Matt D. Matt D. is not available because of aforementioned bi-week hijinks. So Seth uh, joins the podcast for this segment, which will be focused on the Michigan backcourt. Uh, returning starter point guard Doug McDaniel is, uh, I guess, really the only established guard on the roster who you know what you're going to get more or less. But even McDaniel is a guy who... <clears throat> could be a vastly different player than he was last year. Freshman point guards are generally overwhelmed, not particularly efficient, and can be uh, wild, I guess. And McDaniel wasn't exactly that, but 21 assist rate last year, 17 turnover rate. You really want to see those numbers diverge more and then like his number one issue as a player last year is that he shot 40 percent from two and he's the kind of guy who's listed at 511 but uh he's not 511. isn't 511 <laughs> and so his ability to score inside the paint is always going to be questionable um but in terms of what you're expecting in year two his o-rating trended up over the course of the year, you know, he got up to a hundred by the end of the year, he was one Oh four in conference play. And that's not where you want your point guard to be, but as a base to build on for a true freshman, it's, it's actually fairly promising. Yeah. I, he wasn't going to be, he wasn't supposed to be the point guard all last year. And he kind of got thrust into the role. And as soon as we saw him in there, you saw, what he's supposed to turn into, and you also saw a lot of true freshman stuff. So, like, the turnovers got better over the course of the year. What it did not get better and probably is not going to get better unless we, you know, unless he develops some sort of Xavier Simpson hook shot or something, is he's never going to be a rim player. So that's that's your limitation. He plays feisty defense. He's not going to be a big defender. But, like, he can put, well, can put on someone's point guard and, and be annoying. Yeah, I mean, he flashed as a defender last year. There were times when he was able to get up in the face of point guards who were not as quick as him, and that's basically everybody, and mm-hmm. really harass an opposition's offense from being able to get into a set until you know 10 or 15 or 20 seconds had elapsed from the uh, the play clock, the shot clock. <clears throat> and his, assist, his steal rate last year of 2.4 is was 16th in the Big Ten, which isn't Amazing. But again, we're talking about a true freshman with a lot of uh, upside left to explore. And by the end of the year, he ended up shooting 36% from three, which was pretty much not expected. Yeah. Like it's on 93 attempts. So it's not exactly, you know, hard, a hard fact that he's going to be an acceptable to actually plus three point shooter this year. But he's a guy who shoots decently from the free throw line and is going to be someone who you do at least have to check in a way that you didn't have to check Xavier Simpson on the perimeter, and that feeds into his ability to get to the net, to get to the rim. And he might be one of the guys who really benefits from a rule change in college basketball this year where they've made charges much harder to take. Mm -hmm. So they seem to be doing this (laughs) every year where it's like, ah, we're going to change the charge rule so you can't take a charge. And then by halfway through the season, everything's back to the way it was. So we'll have to see exactly how that plays out. But if this 
charge rule does stick, guys like Doug McDaniel are going to be getting to the line a lot more. And that's, I think, something to look for early in the year because McDaniel is never going to be like a 55% guy from two. But if he's got a free throw rate of 50, it's it's going to work. You know, it's going to be fine. Um, Yeah. And I mean, his main thing is he was um, taking he was taking shots off of screens. And those are, you know, that they're going to be able to draw those up. You can get those for a point guard as long as he progresses as a distributor. I think that's really the key for him this year is does he go from, you know, a 21 assist rate guy to a 25 assist rate guy? I'm not expecting him to be, you know, the fully formed version of himself yet. But if he is a good distributor, if he's seen the court well, and I think we saw some of that in the scrimmage that they put on YouTube, um, that he was seeing the, the court really well. He was basically the the main offensive threat for the uh, the yellow team. And, sorry, sorry the maze team. And, and he looks like he can be that. Like, if Michigan needs, some, Michigan needs somebody to be the scorer on this team. And that's got a lot to put on Doug. But he seems to be seeing the court pretty well. And, you know, he's... He's got the ability to pull up that it's going to be hard to take away from him because he does it from so much distance and because he can do it off of screens and he's so quick. Uh, the second most established guy in the backcourt, at least in terms of career at Michigan, is uh, Jalen Llewellyn, I guess, who got in eight games last year before tearing his ACL on December 4th. These days, ACLs are six-month injury, so it's he should be full go for the season and we didn't really get to see very much of him especially against good opponents and last year he was off to an absolutely awful start shooting the ball 5 of 27 from 3 for a guy who was a 38% shooter his final year at Princeton Um, Llewellyn was sort of projected to be the point guard even though he was very much an off ball guy at Princeton uh, high usage, not a whole lot of assists. Um, a guy who shouldered a lot of the scoring burden, and it felt like asking him to up transfer and then become more of a point guard was a tough yeah, ask. Yeah, it was. It was a lot. I mean, you don't know how it would have turned out. We only got to see like the worst part, which was supposed to be the worst part. It did look salvageable, but like. I, I don't know if the plan was originally for Doug to kind of take over more of the point guard duties and use him as an off-ball guy. I think they just kind of got stuck in that situation. Uh, they will possibly get to use him at the two a little bit more this year, and I think that might be a lot better use of him because Doug oh, I think I mean, I think that you're going to see him mostly at the two. I mean, it's yeah. going to depend on what Michigan gets out of Burnett and Washington, who we'll address here shortly. Mm-hmm. But... Like, Llewellyn looks like he'll be the primary backup for Doug McDaniel at the point, but that's going to be maybe 10 minutes a game. And it's an open question who's going to start at the two. Yeah. And I think Llewellyn actually has a decent shot as long as he gets his shot back. Yeah. From a year ago. I I mean, he's, it wasn't just one year at Princeton that he was a good shooter. So it's not like it's not established. He's, he wasn't a 38% shooter his whole career, but he was well, their main guy. I mean, that, he was the guy getting all the offense. There, I mean, it is, if you go back and you look at his history in 2019 and 2020, he was a 25% and then a 31% shooter. So the 38% from 2022 is an outlier. But we do see guys progress like that. And, and Llewellyn lost an entire season in 2020. 2021 because of COVID because the 
the Ivies didn't play. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like, okay, he was bad a year before and then he got better. It's like he had two full years to work on that aspect of his game. And I think 162 shots is a pretty decent sample size. I think he will bounce back to closer to where he was in 2022. The injury does kind of make it. You know, we're, we're not exactly sure what to expect. Yeah, and we um, didn't see him in the scrimmage, so it's hard to know what they've gotten back from him, or if he's all the way back, if the injury saps anything from him permanently, or if the injury saps something from him even temporarily that's going to you know go deep into the season. All right, just two more guards on the roster. One is Namari Burnett, a well-traveled former top 50 recruit who played sparingly his first year at uh, Texas, Texas Tech. Tech because he got injured and missed virtually the whole conference season. And he transfers, he sits out a year, and last year he plays for Alabama, gets hurt again after being a starter uh, for uh, their first 9-10 to games, misses another 9-10 to games, comes back and is a fairly heavy rotation bench player, got about 20 minutes a game, for a team that was a one seed, the number four team in Ken Palm, and you know, I think importantly for Michigan, the number three defense in college basketball. So Burnett's offensive numbers are so thin, you really can't derive a whole lot from them. I mean, yeah. he had <laughs> last year for Alabama, he was very much a perimeter-oriented player, had just 41 attempts from two, almost more than doubled that from three, shot 32%, turned the ball over way too much for a guy who's got that kind of shot profile, um, <clears throat> did get to the line a fair bit. His offensive upside is unknown. He is 6'4", uh, and as mentioned, a top 50 recruit, so a guy who could come in, finally get some health and and surprised with upside i think one thing that is certain is he's going to be a major defensive presence because you don't get minutes on a team that is that good at defense you don't start until you get hurt uh without being a very very good defender and you know i think that's something that we can uh take as a fairly plug and play thing since he is coming from a high major yeah i mean this is a guy that michigan recruited years ago and then texas tech you know pull it off the win in the end with that thing. But like they wanted the same things. They saw his defense. He's a supreme athlete. He has offensive upside, but it's really hard to figure out what his offense is from playing for those two teams. You're talking about two of the most extreme system teams in basketball, right? Where Texas Tech is just, we are going to lock down on defense. And he was great in that system. And then Alabama, which just has their, you know, we're, we are going to maximize uh, percentages. Oh, uh, when you saw him in the scrimmage, which is the only time you've seen him outside of those the context of those two offenses, he was actually taking the ball to the basket a little bit. So he's got some – there, there's a possibility that he's going to be an extra scorer. I go back to Michigan was really – he was going to try to get Caleb Love in, and that was going to be there too. That was going to be the, um, the answer in that position. And I think Namari was going to be a off-the-bench defensive presence. I don't know how – I, we don't even have enough numbers to know how well his three-point shooting translates. So I don't know what he's going to be as far as that, but he doesn't mind taking shots. And this offense is going to need somebody who just, you know, gets a point per uh, play just you know because he wants to shoot. And if they have that defense and they have 
you know, okay production from him. He could be like a Charles Matthews for this team. Yeah, and so his first injury at Alabama was a torn ACL. He comes back from that, and his issues last year were wrist issues. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's the kind of thing where, one, you don't expect that to linger in terms of athleticism in any way, and two, you come back from a wrist injury and you shoot um, – 29% from three in conference play. Well, maybe there's an explanation for that. This is a guy who could be a very, very useful three and D player. And I think Charles Matthews is a pretty good comp, although you're hoping that you're going to get better than exactly 30% three point shooting. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, that's, <clears throat> he's kind of a representative of this team where it's just like, they've got a lot of talent. They can play defense. Scoring is going to be a little bit of an issue, but they're scoring upside in a lot of places, and here there's there's one of them. I do expect him to be, uh, you know, versus Jalen Llewellyn, or uh, you know, we'll get to Washington next. I kind of think Namari is going to be their number two this year, or at least get the majority of minutes at number at the two. Yeah, that's that's my expectation too. Um, the fourth true guard on the roster is freshman George Washington. The third, um, obviously, a lot of potential with that name uh, Doug McDaniel said he's one of the best shot makers he's seen which might not say a whole lot <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying but to think of people around the Big Ten that he's seen even even still we're not getting uh, but you know as a true freshman you're looking at him as a, a bench option to hit some hit some shots and probably not a whole lot else on a team that is going to have to be very focused on being excellent defensively. They're just not going to have the ability to stick him in the starting lineup and be like, okay, we're going to endure whatever faults you have. Cause that's, you know, that's just not how they're going to roll this year. So I, I don't know that we're going to get more than 10 minutes a game from him. If that, I think it's going to be one of those things where you're watching over the course of the season. So the beginning of the season, I don't expect to see much of him at all. The, uh, I would say about 50% of all the defensive breakdowns in the scrimmage were all him. So there's some, you know, there's some fresh manity that he's going to have to get over. But he's got a lot of upside as far as this team, right? That he can come in and be a scorer if they need somebody to replace Namari, who, you know, who's not, uh, who's not putting the ball in the basket. And that's because he can score, because that is like his main thing. He's going to have a role. I don't know how much he's going to be playable early in the season, but when you're looking at, you know, Michigan traditionally gets better as the season goes along. When you see that, you know, if they go on like a January and February push where they're, you know, behind and then all of a sudden they win five, six games in a row, I think that's when you're probably expecting uh, Washington to be coming along, becoming more of a uh, part of the equation and just, you know, not have so many breakdowns. A few is okay if he's scoring. Finally, Michigan does list Jace Howard as a uh, guard, so we'll address him here. 6'7", 225, entering his senior season at Michigan. To date, has been a bit player, but did get up uh, to you know, about 20% of Michigan's minutes last year. These were all in very compressed stretches. So... We're still talking about a guy who has a total of 28 career two-point attempts, a career total of 26 three-point attempts, and it's just unlikely that Howard is going to be a whole lot more than he was last year. You know, He's going to be a guy who you bring in for some energy, maybe some rebounds. Maybe he hits a couple of shots, but you know, 
he'll be a bit player, it seems, again. Yeah, he's... You know, the, the hot take on the tip of everyone's tongue last year was Jace is better than Jet. And it's not true. It was, never was true. It was not true at all during the season. But there were times when it felt like well, he'd come in, he would make his shot, and he'd go back and he'd play defense, and things would all of a sudden be working again. And, like, you know, it. he was probably better than Joey Baker at some times last year, too. Like, there were – but Jace is – he's really the opposite of Jet. And – I, on this team, yes. I don't really see there's going to be a lot of playing time for him. Well, but if you have this identity as a defense first team, I do think that there is some possibility that he finds a little bit more of a role because if your main thing is you got five guys who are not making mistakes and everything is contested, you bring in Washington and he gives up a back cut or whatever, mm-hmm. that's much more damaging when every other defensive player you have is locked in. Right. Does that does that make sense? It does. Like, and and I think that there like are when, certain teams we're uh, gonna play who are not gonna be like I'm not gonna see him out there against Indiana. Right? When you have a team that just has like a lot of athleticism all over the place. But you know, there are teams that we're gonna face like Wisconsin this year or Iowa this year who are not gonna have that much athleticism on the wings or at the uh, at the guard spots where you can have somebody out there as long as he's doing his job, who's going to be able to, you know, he'll be a presence that you can get some minutes out of him. I just think that where they've added players this year kind of cover all the things that Jace is good at. Well, I mean, the the other thing that could help him is if like Doug does kind of evolve into a guy who is drawing a ton of attention and all he has to do is sit on the perimeter and, and talk up three pointers. Like that's something that he might be okay at. He was right. seven of seventeen from deep last year, so it kind of feels like there's some upside for him as a three and D guy. But again, the most likely outcome is a role similar to what he had last year. All right, we're gonna take a break, come back and talk about the front court. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president of Peak Wealth Management, your MGO financial coach, and it is our goal to help you retire with peak confidence. Check us out at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Bo says the team, the team, the team. Lately, my mantra has been the plan, the plan, the plan. Check out the Trust the Plan podcast. Search out my name, Nick Hopwood, on any platform and give us a follow. You know, we haven't updated this ad in over two years because since the last versions went live, we only had one Big Ten loss. And honestly, I'm a little superstitious. But for this ad, I just want to give a shout out to all the loyal Wolverines and MGO blog fans who've reached out to us from as far as France, Japan, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas, Florida, New York, and of course, all over the great state of Michigan. And you guessed it, we're pulling recruits out of Ohio as well, just like Harbaugh. Thank you very much. So no matter where life has taken you after your time in Ann Arbor, we're here to help you build a plan you can trust. If you're looking for a second opinion, visit us at peakwm.com slash blog today. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or 
application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs, original geeks of programmable communication. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. Passion for e-commerce. Sell stuff online. Security. Performance. Conversion. Beautiful user experiences. Bella experience. Utilizator. Monthly marketing. PPC SEO. Make your user a customer. Conversion. Arte Perfume for online retailers. Love your website. Let Human Elements show you how. Available at human-element.com and find department stores, not find department stores. sideline at central michigan he's like i've got this role this is all me baby (laughs) (laughs) he's a rounder he's a rounder he's he's sitting there on the sidelines with his sunglasses on and a goatee and i'm like god damn i thought that was i thought that was youtube star dan from um what is it uh sailing uma isn't that i think that looks exactly like him is that oh, it is. I thought I thought it was former Mets manager Bobby Valentine. He likes to go. <laughs> in. Yeah, remember when Bobby Valentine got kicked out, then came back to the bench with a mustache on? Yeah, yeah hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. And, and the glasses. It was good stuff. I mean, yeah, it's right. For whatever you can say about Connor Stallions, and there are many things you can say about Connor Stallions. At least he's going to have, you know, if there's a movie, he gets like an attractive, excellent actor. Right. Like, amen. We had a like. We're we're cast into our lots in life. If I'm in this movie, which I should be, Hollywood, and yeah. it's Jeff Bridges, which isn't bad, but it's not. No, as that's as great. Edward Norton Shooter. If, if Randy and I, if Randy and I are in the movie, we'll play each other. Yeah. <laughs> Seth, give yep. me your hottest take. Juwan Howard needs a manifesto. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, 
He's got some time in the hospital to work on it. Oh, that's true. <laughs> right? Yep. And, and like, this team, every year, it's kind of like, okay, who can we just, like, throw on it after – you know, we lose our center, and like, okay, let's 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 go across the world and try to find some guy who just might have eligibility in January. Like, this is not a plan. You need a plan, Juwan. Talk to Connor. He's good at this. No, 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 no. no, no. Nobody talks to Connor. No. Nobody, Nobody talks to Connor. Or his, or his, or anyone from his vast network. Nobody talks to anybody. No. Wait, this has, no, be, the this has to be a line from this has to be a line from the movie. Nobody puts Connor on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the problem is, Seth, with your hot take. If he does write a six hundred page manifesto, it's going to be about taking over Michigan football. We need him to stay in the basketball. <laughs> If you get a if you get like a billion year show cause, is that just for one sport or can basketball hire Connor Stallions? <laughs> see what that, happens. That's <laughs> it's true. He could. They could. Randy, give me your hottest take. George Washington the third will be statistically better than Caleb Houston and freshman year Kobe Boston this year. Okay. okay. I think George Washington III is going to be finally – there's, like, no pressure on him, and I think he is going to have statistically a better year than those guys who were more heralded coming in. Bufkin's easy because he only played about four minutes a game. True, but Caleb Hughes. Caleb Hughes. I mean – I mean, yeah, I I mean, (laughs) if he hits one three on the road, he'll – He'll beat Caleb Houston. Yeah, no, but I mean, my my, I think the deeper point is that I don't think George Washington the third is a threat to go to the NBA after this year. I think we're going to have him for a little while, and I yeah. think he's going to be good. I like his confidence, and you know, there's just enough spotlight off of him that I think he might actually be good. How much did it hurt you when Seth asked you for a basketball-related hot take? <laughs> it it. <laughs> It hurt. It hurt. I wanted, you know, because I've got got some great hockey hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a gymnastics hot take. Just let him be. Let him do other sports. Well, I just yeah, like we... go ahead. You got to have at least like seventy four hot takes about all this side stuff going on. I mean, yeah. every single. I have so many. They have so a whole many, set. But... They have a whole set for this. I'm sure that like they're going to be touring on this, like on just Counter Stallions for the next like year. Oh my, like, my hot take. Can I do my hot my sign stealing Hollywood hot take? Sure, Jason. Give me your hottest take. Counter Stallions should be played by Marley Matlin. Another <laughs> lesser god. No one can sign better than her. No one can yep. do lips and steal signs better than her. We've met her. We know her. She's wonderful. She's great. She needs the work. Get her a job. Come on. All right, yeah. Did you did you have a basketball one too, Jason? Yes, I do. Right. Uh, Trey Jackson is going to be the highest scorer on Michigan's basketball team this year. Wow. I love this kid. I love him. You wanted it hot? I gave it to you hot. I That's love hot. his stroke. I love his stroke. Like, not just like it, I love it. And I feel like he is kind of a hard guy to guard. He can hit it from outside. I saw him make get some good rebounds. I know it's just our little you know, practice scrimmage, but 
I think he's going to be great, and I wanted to give up. I mean, at the at the three, Seth, you were asking on the show before, like if he, I think you were asking, like if he if he wasn't good at the last two places, like why is he now suddenly going to be good? It might be his position. I mean, well, if you have a different be a center, yeah, they were trying more, to use him as a center. You shouldn't, shouldn't. Well, they, yeah, they, they, he's not what they were trying to make him be. Right. So maybe this is his natural fit, natural spot, and he just flourishes at the three. All right. Hunter Dickinson will not be missed in any way whatsoever, except for scoring points. <laughs> good, right. good one, Brian. <laughs> what, what I'm trying to say is I actually don't think losing Dickinson is going to be that big of a deal. Because nope, nope. while he was a very good offensive player, he gave up a ton on the defensive end. And this has the look of a roster that could be one of those teams – like when Charles Matthews was here and when X was here yep. and Michigan was a top 10 team defensively, Terrace reads a big upgrade uh, at yep. the four. Uh, God, I can never pronounce his name. <laughs> Kamwa. Kamwa. Thank you. you. Just, just, Kamwa. just skip yeah. like the first half of the name and then just do the, do, do Kamwa. the yeah. <laughs> Kamwa He's great. is coming from a team that finished in the top 10 of defensive efficiency last year. And he was a, Heavy minutes starter for them. Namari Burnett, yep. six foot five. If he's fully healthy, I think he's going to be a really good defensive player. You get uh, a second year from uh, Doug, and he's mm-hmm. flash. He's a pest. Yeah, he's, he's flash the ability, and I think he's, he's one of the guys who's going to get there. I mean, yep. I don't think this team is going to be particularly good at scoring the ball, but I do think that they're going to be a bear to play against just because they're going to be Rutgers with a little bit more talent. Yeah. Uh, And also, like, what did we what was the worst part of our game last year is not closing out games and playing horribly defensively down the stretch. Now I feel like we have guys that can two J's Trey Jackson take. Imagine him switching out on a four or in in Tara switching. I think this defense is going to be a lot better. Yeah. And that's what you need to make up for, because uh, it might be a little bit rough getting the ball in the basket. But anyway, not without not with George Washington, the third George Washington, third is the answer to your scoring. Hail to the press. Hey, I have two it's things. Okay. I, no, no, no. Before you go, before you do this, I, okay. I got two things I want to add to our casting. One, Marley Matlin can't play a counter stallions because she's already playing Beth Getz, the Iowa. Um, <laughs> Okay. Good. Yeah. I mean, great. She looks perfect, Fair. and and like you know, she can just sit there and pretend she didn't like you know hear anything about Brian Parents. She just looked at the the numbers sure. the last day and said, "Okay, here's what we have to do." And and finally, uh-huh. I'm getting played by Jeff Ross. This is already established. Yeah, perfect. We'll make that happen. Yeah, we'll make it happen. We can make a phone call. We got a phone call. One phone call. We're in. If you can't get enough scars, hit them up. On their website, they are touring constantly. And check out the Nosebleeds, their reboot of Cheap Seats on UFC Fight Pass. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. All right, the Michigan front court. We're going to start with Terrace Reed, the sophomore center, who uh, is going to be not Hunter Dickinson this year. (laughs) Um, And I think the hope that you're having is that Terrace Reed, for one, is able to make a big step forward as a, a player on offense, but for two, makes up for a lot of Hunter Dickinson's defensive limitations, which is ability to switch, his much better mobility, and his overall dedication to that side of the game. Currently, this does not quite show up in the stats. Michigan was better with um, Reed on the court last year 
uh, defensively, giving up 100 points per 100 possessions versus 103 with Hunter Dickinson on the court. But the <laughs> offensive drop-off to Reed was almost three times as big. Now, we're talking about relatively small margins here because there are four other players on the court. <clears throat> but for Reed to make up for the Hunter Dickinson gap, he's going to have to take a big step forward as a player. Right Now, last year, he was extremely turnover-prone, 23 turnover rate. He had approximately one assist on the year. Uh, he was an excellent offensive rebounder, got 15%, which is elite, elite numbers. His block rate of 7.3 is not quite elite, but you can see where he might get there. His steal rate of 2.4 is very good for a center, and he was doing this in about 12 minutes a game. So the big problem for him, other than the turnovers, was the fact that he shot 40% from the free throw line, which is bad. <laughs> and it got better, right? Like it was, it started at like 0%, and then he, he had like a streak where he was making them, and then in the scrimmage, there is one where he just airballed, and everyone goes, "Oh!" the The biggest clap I think in the in the, the entirety of that game was when he made his first free throw, because it just it just sailed right in, and people were like, "Oh, good, this is fixed." Because he's six ten, he's not like a seven one guy who you know is just never going to have the angle. He he should be able to shoot free throws. It just there's it, just like a sloppy goofiness to him that was a emphasized because he was a true freshman last year, but it also, you know, it, it, it that he has that because he plays at such a high uh, energy level and you know, he's moving so quickly. Now their defense last year did not have the guys to be switchable. And I think that was a major part of what was going on with Dickinson's defense. Well, that, and that's a good point is that last year's team was built around Hunter Dickinson. Right. So when, Terrace Reed comes in. Yeah, you don't have to run drop coverage, but that's what you're doing in practice every day. Right. Right? Because Hunter Dickinson has to run drop. Yeah, and if and because of the other guys around him too, right? If you if you want to go to switching defense, that's gonna end up with some with Joey Baker on someone or Will, Will Cheddar on somebody. Like they just they're or Terrence Williams, right? Like they had so many guys that you could not match up defensively last year, where this year it's the exact opposite. Like this team is way is built for a guy like Terrace Reed at center. Well, and for him offensively, Doug McDaniel is more important than Terrace Reed, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like Reed is strictly around the rim. He's not going to be a guy who is posting up mostly. He's going to be a, a, you know, a dunks and, and uh, layups guys off assists. And the craziest stat from last year is Terrace Reed at the rim was 57%, which you need to be better at if you're going to be a dunks and, and layups guy. The rate at which he was assisted at the rim was 39%. The rate that Dickinson was assisted at the rim was 54%. That is backwards. Yeah. Terrace <laughs> <laughs> Reed needs to be the guy who is able to get in positions where he can just finish. And you want to see that number, particularly the number of Terrace Reed makes at the rim that are assisted get up to 60 to 70 to 80% because he can be an elite role guy, right? Yeah. He has the ability to do that in a way that Dickinson does not, but just having him sit there and post up is never going to be a particularly efficient offense. You have to be like the elite of the elite like Dickinson was for that to be a, the foundation of what you do. Michigan is not going to be able to do that with Terrace Reed this year. No, and probably not ever, but definitely not this year. So it feels like this is going to be a situation where Michigan's 
offense and defense are both changing in ways that suit Terrace Reed more than last year. So that plus the development is is how you can get to a level where losing Hunter Dickinson doesn't really impact your bottom line because yeah. you're able to move on and become a more modern basketball team. Yeah. There's a reason that Hunter Dickinson isn't in the NBA and Michigan needs to take advantage of that fact to become a more versatile basketball team, particularly defensively. Yeah. And I mean, he's not going to pop out and shoot a three either, but the, I mean, remember he can put the ball on the floor. So it's not like you need to have Terrace Reed just down in the, you know, waiting for the ball all the time. And when he puts the ball on the floor, it looks incredible. It looks like you, you created a player on NBA street or something. He's, I mean, he's a face up guy, right? Which is if he can actually get a little bit better at it, then that's going to be an asset. But that turnover rate is because he's a face-up guy. Yeah, because you're facing your defender, you're exposing him the ball, the ball to him. He's six foot ten. Things can go pear shaped in a way that when you're backing a guy down, it doesn't generally. So I think the face-up stuff is an interesting aspect of his game. But that's why that assist rate is so low because he gets the ball in the post and he goes and puts it on the deck. Mm-hmm. And ideally, he'd be either so deep in the post that he doesn't have to dribble or you can just do a power dribble and go up with it so part, all of that is developing as a player and yeah. you know, i think reed is a guy who you could see have a breakout year or you could see him just kind of get stuck in the mud it's really difficult to uh to make any projections here yeah i mean the free throws have, are a big deal for him because i think he has a lot of potential as a, a guy who can draw fouls just with the way he plays and obviously they're following him even more because that's you know that's the easiest yeah. way to handle him but you know if he gets up to a 75% free throw shooter that's you know whoa 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 70 <laughs> i don't he's that's... not he's not built like a bad free throw shooter though i'm not he's uh, not like a big that you expect to like be at 50% for his career no 60 i i, I got a hard cap of 60 and even i i'd take that and run <sighs> <laughs> I think there's potential there. And and they say there's potential there. He's just last year he was a true freshman and he's already the kind of player who kind of plays with his tongue out, if you you know what I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Michigan's backup at the five and projected starter at the four is Olivier Kamwa, a Tennessee transfer who's from Helsinki, Finland, which is fun. Uh Kamwa is a guy who was a starter played 63% of Tennessee's minutes last year for the number one defensive team in the country. Mm -hmm. So just right off the bat, you have a guy who was a key player for the best defense in the country. That is going to be a massive upgrade in that department. Period. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Compared to what we were doing at the four last uh, year. (laughs) Like, Offensively, he's not a super efficient player, He, but he does have a mid-range game that gives his possessions a really high floor. 52% from two last year on high volume. Shot 33% on just 54 threes a year ago. Um, not a guy who is going to take a ton of threes, but that is part of his game. 70% from the floor, uh, I mean, from the free throw line. And did that on a relatively high usage. He's a 22% usage guy. So you can plug him in to this offense and have him take some of that scoring burden. And yeah, he's not going to be a 120 O rating guy, but last year he was 110 and 
you know, he was 109 against tier, tier A guys, and he mm-hmm. gave Duke the business in the NCAA attorney. Now, that's not going to be something that he's going to be able to do week in and week out. You know, he, <laughs> yeah, they lost the Florida Atlantic in the, in the next game after he put up 27 against Duke and he put up six, right? So he's not a guy who is going to solve all your problems. What he is, is he's a very good veteran basketball player who very easily could have just gone and played in Europe this year, but decided he wanted one more crack at the NCAA tournament. And just a, just a massive ad for the program because he's going to eat minutes. He's going to play 30 to 35 minutes a game. He's going to give you a very good baseline of defense and mid-range shooting. And he just raises the floor for this team tremendously. Uh, he, he solved so many problems for Michigan by coming here. I, the, he, I, this was such a recruiting coup because – People were like, oh, no, like the day before he committed, people were like, Michigan's out. Like Baylor's going to throw whatever money at him. It's going to be over. But he solved so many problems. One, you can go to a five-out offense if you want to with him at the center. Two, we didn't have a backup center because we couldn't get the, the uh, recruit in that we were planning on. He's he's not a guy who's going to generate offense himself, but like that's that's not what you're asking from him, right? He was, uh, I think, 78% of his points last year were assisted. And... <laughs> So he's not going to like solve that part of the problem. Everything else, the fact that you can switch with him, the fact that he can he can go all the way up to a three, he can uh, you know play against fives, he can um, get to the line if you need it. It's just when things were put on him, when someone was able to shut down the offensive engine for Tennessee, you he he was not someone who could step up and do that. As a role player, as a number two or number three guy on your team, he's going to be awesome. So the what I'm expecting out of Kamwa this year is based off of what the other guys do. If Doug really comes along and if Terrace Reed really comes along, he is going to be an excellent third option. If he has to be the second option, that's where I think we're gonna, you know, have some offensive problems. Defensively, it, it changes the entire look of the team. Yeah. So the final starting spot is <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I well it's I mean I it's it's really it's know. our guy. Right? It's it's we've had It's there, our guy. Yeah, it's it's T Will, man. T Will's gonna T Will's our man. He's he's our Is it? I'm almost by default. I yes, I think T Will's going to be the, the number three. Now he's going to start. He's going to have a lot of. There's going to be a lot of wiggle room in there, right? Like that's where a lot of the the twos are going to bleed into the threes, and the fours are going to bleed into the threes. Trey Jackson's going to play some three. You're you're. But right, I think Terrence so, Williams, your guy. All right, this is this is a difference of opinion because I think it's going to be Trey Jackson. Okay. Because you can't look at Trey Jackson's stats and and say, okay, that's who he is as a player. Because what did Seton Hall do with him last year? They tried to make him they a played center. Played him at center. Yeah. And he's not a center. No. I mean, if you look at like if you look at his highlight films on, on YouTube, they call him a bouncy wing. Which he <laughs> is. And so last year he plays on this absolutely uh, grim offense and a good defense, and he gets you know kind of shunted into backup center minutes mm-hmm. at six foot ten, two fifteen. Yes, <laughs> no, he got he got bullied, and 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 I think that when he was coming to Michigan, Michigan like had to make promises, like no, we swear we are not going to play you at center. And then for a moment, because we didn't have Kamwa in the 
class yet, and it looked like we were going to have to use him at center. And I'm sure there was like a a, a time in there, but he was. I mean, it, you can go back to his junior season when he was still used mostly as a as a wing. And right, so he gets yeah. about 20 minutes a game for a Seton Hall team that's an eight seed in the tournament. He's low usage, um, doesn't really have much of an impact on the offensive boards, has a turnover rate that's too high for what he's doing mm-hmm. shoots 51 38 from the field shoots 91 percent from the line he's a career 35 percent uh, three-point shooter on 150 attempts so that's a fairly solid baseline not the most efficient guy inside the arc but again <clears throat> this is a guy who was miscast at seton hall and he underwent a coaching change got stuck as the backup center so you're looking at a fairly productive and efficient low usage bench player for an NCAA tournament team. Two years later, he's going to be incrementally better. He's, he brings a ton of size to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I think, I think he's going to be another guy who might look a lot different than you would expect based on who he was a year ago, like Burnett because he's going to be in a situation that's much more conducive to who he is as a player. Yeah, I mean, he can get his three off. And that's that, that's something that Michigan has desperately needed on past teams. Like, I, I really wish we had him to, like, replace the Caleb Houston teams or something. But that's kind of what you're expecting out of him offensively, is he's kind of sit in the corner guy. Uh, can help you at the rim, but he's not going to be a, another guy who's just not going to be a major generator of offense, more so than Kamwa. He actually does, you know, he can put it up because you get a size matchup, and he is still 6'10". So if you have him at the three and you have somebody out there against him who's like 6'4", 6'5", and can't jump out of the building, he's just going to gonna cause problems for any team like that. And so we have mentioned Terrence Williams. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to be a senior this year, had a rough season last year, shot 47-25 from the floor. And that, if that recurs, like, I don't know how he's going to start because he's a decent defender. He's a solid glue guy. He, he, you know, comes in and puts up some unexpected buckets in that Tennessee game where I was crying for him to be inserted. So, (laughs) right. I was like, please put in Terrence Williams, but he gets in a starter's role this year, and it just kind of feels like that might be a bridge too far. So he is a 29% three-point shooter on 134 attempts. So that 38% from his sophomore year is like, is that real or is that not real? Um, I think it's it's just going to come down to that for him. Because yeah. Michigan is not going to be able to afford to put a low usage guy on the on the court who's not a, who's not like an elite defender. He's a solid defender who's shooting like that. Now you are hoping for sort of a, a senior renaissance from this guy. That does happen. Yeah. I mean, I think I compared him to Michigan State's Kenny Goins, and Goins got a three point shot out of nowhere for his final year, and he was experienced in their system. He was a good defender. He's about the same size, so. There is a path there for Terrence Williams to become, you know, a plus player on a good team. But, you know, you're rolling the dice here and you're trying to hit a a pretty high number, I think. Yeah. I mean, the reason I think that he's going to start as the starting three is because the program just absolutely adores him. And last year is not a good representation. Last year, everything that was going on with Michigan was just bad for him. Like he was not able to 
he wasn't getting his three up. He wasn't getting his three to go down, which was awful for him. He wasn't able to get to the rim because all the you know the offense was coming from the rim. So he wasn't able to like burly guys. And once you take that away, he that's, he's a burly wing. So when you weren't able to use his size differential on people, like that was what Kenny Goins was, right? Like you just had that bubble butt, and then you can use him on the outside because they're so terrified of him coming inside. The way everyone played Michigan last year just played into Terrence Williams' weaknesses, and I think that hurt him. I think he was playing injured for a while last year. I, I'm not saying he's better than Dre Jackson. I'm saying that Michigan wants him to be the three, and they want Jackson to be like the backup of the four so they can use Kamwa at the five sometimes, and you're going to be playing with lineups a lot to see him kind of... And they're going to kind of try to make it work. I agree with you that I don't think he's necessarily a better player, but I think that he's their guy. Two more young power forward types fill out the roster. Will Cheddar, uh, redshirt sophomore, actually started uh, down the stretch for Michigan last year to the mystification of everybody who was watching the outcomes there. <laughs> At a, I mean, yeah. just... Uh, so he had Reed Baker level usage. He was a 14% usage guy, 12% shots guy, abominable defensively, 25 turnover rate, didn't have a steal on the year, shot 59% from the line and 25% from three, did hit 19 to 29 twos. But last year, Will Shedder should have been unplayable. Yeah. He was the worst defender on a team that had Jet Howard. <laughs> and for Michigan to be in a position where they thought that it would be a good idea to start him just kind of tells you all about the personality issues on last year's team. They were just looking for someone who was upbeat, really dedicated, a hard worker to give Howard and Dickinson maybe a, a kick in the butt. And it didn't work at all. No. <laughs> but that is the only reason you would be starting Will Cheddar and playing him 20 minutes a game from the Wisconsin game to the Toledo game. Yeah. So I, Cheddar has one. I mean, he, he's a good junk baller down low. He has some post moves. It's not, he, he's <laughs> what? No, that's not true. <laughs> he's, I, he, I, I don't expect him to play on this team unless there's like a lot of injuries or something like that. Like he's, he's a glue guy. He's a bench guy. Last year, you're right. He should not have been playing. And it was an indictment on last year's team that they had to put Cheddar in. And then, you know, Jet didn't even play in the um, in the NIT. And, like, there, that was when Cheddar got a lot of his minutes. I, would, I was expecting you to skip past him and go to Yo-Yo. Well, Yo-Yo is the last scholarship player we are going to talk about. He started the Vandy game in the NIT, hit a three. Good job, Yo-Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers on him are so thin that there's not really a whole lot you can say. He only got 4% of Michigan's minutes last year. Flashed some promise, hit four of his nine uh, attempts from three. He was six foot nine and listed at 195 pounds, mm -hmm. which is not enough pounds to play in the Big Ten. And now he's gotten an offseason of Camp Sanderson. He's listed at 20 pounds heavier. He's a guy who could be a guy. Like you just haven't really seen it from him. But his main issue last year is he was way too skinny. He was a abominable rebounder uh, coming out of uh, France. And there 
is some chance that he's a breakout guy. I know I think it's probably going to be year three for him, but this is an opportunity for him to get 10, 15 minutes a game and for Michigan to explore what they've got with him. Yeah, definitely. You know that he's he's a major X factor because they could really use somebody like him because there's such a difference between their twos and their threes right now. And he's the one guy on this entire roster, I think, who kind of fills in that space where he can. He's got those long, gangly, you know, arms that he could that that could be really effective defensively, and he can yeah, play I mean, like physically. He physically he does seem a lot like Franz Wagner. Mm-hmm. So he's got a plus wingspan. He's six foot eight. He's got the potential to be a super huge three who's just bigger than whoever he's going up against and makes it just a hellish experience trying to make a pass anywhere around him. Have we seen any of that on the court? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, there are some nice but things I'm that you saw. There's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance. No, well, he, he actually looked kind of functional. Um, and like you said, true, he was a true freshman last year who came from France and for that Lebanon. And like the, he, he barely got any time to practice with the team before the season. So last year was an extreme true freshman year. This year it should be what a normal true freshman looks like, where you're working him in slowly. Another guy like Washington who you can see him becoming part of the mix later in the season, especially like if Terrence Williams isn't really working, if you don't really have anyone else because they're fours are kind of like fours with a little bit of five to them where you know he could be that extra guard who comes in plays some huge two if you need against some teams and he makes his threes and you saw that in the in the scrimmage he was actually like the you know Terrace Reed was the number two option but like Doug was finding uh, Yo-Yo and he was getting it back to him and then he was screening off for Doug to, to take shots so like I, he knows what he's doing now which is a humongous upgrade from last year where he had no idea what he was doing and that's I, that makes him plausible especially in the back half of the season alright we're going to take a break come back and kind of have an overview Maze and Blue Nation it's Tom Brady I co-founded Autograph with one mission in mind, change the fan experience for the better. That's why I'm excited to announce the release of a new app that recognizes the biggest Michigan fans. The Autograph fandom app gives you access to the best Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing the things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Rewarding Fans and download today. Hi, I'm Pete Cavarilla, owner of Sharon's Heating and Air Conditioning. We've been servicing Ann Arbor and Metro Detroit for over 40 years, and we know that the last thing you want to worry about is your heating and cooling system breaking down. Right now is a good time to sign up for our preventative maintenance plan, so you don't have to worry about it in November when the fourth quarters get interesting. Our maintenance members also get discounts and service calls, and you can rest assured our team plays tough in sun or snow and have never been called soft by Lou Holtz. Whether you need a tune-up, are ready for a new system, or want to upgrade your air quality before winter, Call us anytime or schedule an appointment on our website at SharonsHeating.com. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. 
So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Hey, fellow Michigan fans, this is Matt Demarest, Realtor and Lender. For a decade now, you've heard me on the podcast talk about mortgages, and I've helped hundreds of fellow Michigan fans in that capacity, including Brian and Seth. But many of you don't know I'm a real estate broker as well. I promise to make buying, selling, or financing homes simple and cost-effective anywhere in the state of Michigan. Whether you're upsizing, downsizing, buying a vacation home, or building a real estate investment portfolio, send me a text or give me a call. It's never too early to make a plan, and the call is always free. My number is 734-882-8194. Again, 734-882-8194. Or you can find me online at realtorandlender.com. That's realtorandlender.com. Whether you want to buy, sell, or finance, a home or even all three i promise to provide the experience so many of you have come to expect over the years and as always thank you and go blue nmls 1011726 equal housing lender Seth, what I mean, what's going on, man? <laughs> the overview, the 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 over the, I mean, I, I yeah. What so what I'm saying is like, you know, how you feeling about what, like what's a reasonable goal for this team? Make the tournament. I, I mean, yeah, that's kind of where I am too. Yeah, I, the, I the way I see the Big Ten this year is there's Purdue, which is the class of the the Big Ten because they bring back everybody, including Edie, and the team that can you know the only team on tier two is Michigan State who brings back almost everyone they need and added some decent players, and they're a complete team. Everybody else is kind of in this mix, right? Indiana replaces all their players with more athletic players who don't know what they're doing. Illinois is kind of in the same boat as Michigan, where they, they have like a, just a bad mix of, or a new mix of guys that are trying to change their identity. And we're just kind of in this whole puddle of teams like Ohio State and I think we're going to end up get ahead of Wisconsin and Iowa probably we're not we're not like in the Penn State Northwestern zone like I think they're solidly <laughs> in this group of just who knows well they were picked 11th in the preseason which I think is a, a reaction to losing Jet Howard and Hunter Dickinson and then you're like okay well all your points went away where, where are you going to get your points right but those 
opaques kind of failed to account for the fact that Jet Howard was <sighs> neutral, the most the <laughs> most abominable defensive player <laughs> I've uh, ever perceived. Well, there's I don't know. There's a difference between the bad defense because you just don't have it. And, and and that's you know and and you make something and and, you, and that makes you like scoreable that that increases marginally the ability for the other team to score, and what Jet was where he had the physical ability to play defense and didn't play it at all, and he would just give up free baskets where you are dramatically increasing the value of their point. It's like a, that that was the problem that there would be games where. Even though he was one of their main scoring options, he was still a net negative because of how efficient he made other offenses. So you ask, where is Michigan going to get their points? They're taking them away from the other team. Michigan goes from being a bad defensive team that had lots of problems with matchups, that had a lot of physical inability to match up with teams, and had this you know hole that would just w- open up and allow points whenever they needed them, to... A team that can actually lock you down, and the team that is probably going to win a lot more of their late one-point games, where last year, every time they got in a game, the other team could score at will, and it was just like a we didn't have ability to shut them down, and we'd lose by one point or something. So the thing about Howard is that Michigan was worse with him on the court last year <laughs> by, by a lot. Which is, I mean, so if you're losing a guy to the NBA, that's kind of what you want to hear. So, okay, one thing is that Michigan's defense was almost six points worse per hundred possessions with Howard on the court. Their offense was also three points worse. What? So Jet Howard <laughs> was somehow worse for Michigan than anybody who replaced him. The whole year, and Howard had those injury issues and didn't play in the NIT. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of real games mixed in here. This isn't just Michigan, you know, playing Yahoos without Jet Howard. And no, is Michigan was a better team without Jet Howard in all respects last year. And <laughs> I mean, I mean, so first of all, because teams had to collapse on Hunter Dickinson, which we don't have anymore. So well, but what, that but made like, Jet into a secondary scorer, and you could have Joey Baker be your secondary scorer sometimes. Sure, I, I, but what I'm, I, I think just like his complete lack of care about anything defensively just kind of bled into the rest of the team and made it very fr- frustrating. And one thing about this year's team is that they are not going to be relying on a true freshman three for anything. Right. Right. Which has been a huge problem the past year. So, you know, in 21, when Michigan was a one seed, they were 12th in D one experience. And that's with a freshman Hunter Dickinson, because they had Mike Smith and Franz and Isaiah livers and Eli Brooks. They were hugely experienced. And the year after that, you know, they get into the tournament barely as an 11 seed. They're 296th in D1 experience. Mm-hmm. Then last year, they're 310th in D1 experience. So for two consecutive years, because of that recruiting class that was just, you know, two mediocre college players being one and done, for the last two years, Michigan has been one of the least experienced teams in the country. That is going to radically change this year because you know you get an, you have a year from from Doug and he's not going to be a freshman anymore. You import a fifth year guy from Tennessee. You import a fifth year guy from Seton Hall. 
everybody else on the roster gets another year. Like Michigan is not going to be 300th in returning experience this year. I think that's going to be a huge help to them. Like this is not a team that is banking on a bunch of up transfers, right? Their transfers are Namari Burnett and Trey Jackson and Comwell, all guys who were playing at high majors last year. So you can translate what they're doing fairly efficiently and they have upside. And so I feel like Michigan is well poised to be a surprise team in the league. My main concern is the fact that we don't know what Juwan Howard is going to be able to do this year. Mm -hmm. So he had off season heart surgery. He's still not coaching the team. He's still recovering and we, we want him to recover of course, but losing your head coach for most of the preparation for the season and probably into the season could be a problem. Now, Phil Martelli existing mitigates that problem considerably. Right. But Michigan is still short a coach. They're still, you know, it's it's much less than ideal to not have your head coach available. Um, and, so and we're not an LSU problem. where, like, if the head coach, you know, is calling it in from Zoom, it's not going to change anything about the team. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, oh. Guys, I got an idea. Let's run an ISO. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, Juwan's coaching is supposed to Thanks, be a major Will. part of this team. And I I think that for that reason, because a lot of their experience are transfers, um, because they are relying, you know, on true sophomores, and because then you have, you know, George Washington's going to be developing over the course of the year, and uh, Yo-Yo might be developing over the course of the year, and Terrace Reed's probably going to develop over the course of the year, and they're going to get used to playing with each other. I think they're a second-half team, and I'm expecting to see some struggles in the early going. I expect them to lose a lot of their non-conference games again this year. Well, I mean, offsetting that is Michigan beat Marquette in that scrimmage. Yeah. It was... You can never really tell about that. And I was like, it was 150. also 105 to 102. How many times are they scoring 105 points this year? Well, it was it was a 48 minute game, Seth. <laughs> yeah, they played they played 12 minute quarters like it was the NBA. Uh-huh. And I'm sure there was a lot of rotation in there, but they didn't get crunched by 30 or whatever. And you say that these guys are transfers. Yeah, but where are they transferring in from? Tennessee, mm-hmm. Alabama. Like those were two of the best defenses in the country last year. It's not like they are coming from a Will Wade team, as you mentioned, right? right. These are guys who have been well coached. Like Nate Oates is a good coach. Nate mm-hmm. Oates knows what he's doing. You know, Rick Barnes is a good coach. It's not in March, but <laughs> I think these guys are going to be fairly plug and play. Cause yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is unique to a particular basketball team, but this isn't football where you bring in an offensive lineman and it's like, well, I don't know about all this stuff. You know, to some extent, basketball is basketball. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, you get a, you know, trades in the NBA, and it's not like Rasheed Wallace pops up in Detroit and he can't play basketball anymore. So, I feel like there's going to be maybe some hiccups, but I would much rather be trying to smooth over the hiccups from an Olivier Kamwa than a Caleb Houston. Right, right, because all those growing pains that Michigan has had to go through the past two years with freshmen. Someone else had to put up with that. <laughs> That's not our problem. <laughs> right. And also, you're shifting to a team that is going to be a lot more defensive-minded. And I think it's easier to play... I, just This is just feels. But you asked about feels, and here I am. I, I think a defensive team has to be more focused than an offensive team. It's not like, you know, okay, we're just going to go down and shoot three and, and score three points whenever we need to. We're not the team that can just kind of rely on Hunter to go and get it. 
they need to work for their points a lot harder and they have to work on defense or the whole thing falls apart. I think this is going to be a better team that plays well with each other. I just think it's going to take a little bit of time. Like you said, they all know how to play basketball. They got to figure out how they play with each other. They got to figure out what the rotations feel like. They have to feel comfortable in their roles because a lot of them are shifting roles or playing something different than they used to be. Trey Jackson has to know what his job on the team is. And it's not certain right now. Well, I just, I feel like the vibes of this team are going to be much better because you going to get a big jump from Doug. That's just what happens. Freshman and sophomore point guards. You don't have Hunter Dickinson. Who's mad that he's not in the NBA and pouting because the team isn't all that great. You don't have the, coach's son who can't be taught to play defense in any way whatsoever and still plays a ton yeah and i mean that has to be you know pretty upsetting when this guy is <laughs> right this vibes whole because he's just all the effort you put on on defense and he's just like whatever doesn't happen doesn't matter because there's this huge breakdown and they get a layup and it's like well what what, what was i doing all that for if you're just going to screw it up mm-hmm. and i think you know, if they can get some shooting, if you can get a couple of hits from the guys who might break out like Yo-Yo or Burnett or George Washington, like I feel like this team is going to feel more like the football team than last year's, you know, ar- array of conflicting personalities and sourness and, you know, just kind of like the vibes jerky. were awful. <laughs> the vibes last year yeah, were, vibes awful. were awful. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of it is, too, is because. They lost games and were in a lot of games they could have lost that they should they, they that they should have early in the season, and then they started losing games, you know, in the last possession again and again, right up into the end, right where they they had Vanderbilt, they they had that game won, but their breakdowns were so excruciating, and the thing is they didn't have an option to be any other kind of team. You could either be the team that has. Hunter and Jet, and we're going to roll with it, and they can be prima donnas if they want to be. Or you're going to be the team that has Dickinson and Baker and Cheddar all out the court at the same time, and anybody can get their their look when they want to because you just don't <laughs> you don't have the talent, right? And 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 I and Terrence Williams, like I Williams was supposed to be the guy kind of holding everyone together last year, and then you're supposed to have like you know Joy Baker's a glue guy, and like you're supposed to have some of that to keep everybody focused. But because those guys were such different players, you either had a choice of just being junk ballers who can't defense with anybody because they don't have the physicality or guys who just weren't going to do it. Yeah. And you did mention the close games. It is worth pointing out that Michigan was 336th in Ken Palm's luck (laughs) stat, which is Close to dead last nationally. They lost by two to Virginia, by four to Kentucky, by four to North Carolina, by six to Michigan State, in OT against Iowa, by six to Maryland, by five to Purdue, by one to Indiana, by five to Wisconsin, in double OT against Illinois, in overtime against Indiana, and by one against Vanderbilt. I mean, when they lost last year, with the exception of a Penn State blowout, and a 12-point Rutgers win in the Big Ten tournament and the Arizona State law, every single one of those was close. Now, you shouldn't be losing by two to Central Michigan. Right. But, you know, this game, this team was literally one of 12 different coin flips away from making the tournament. And I know that you've got a lot of turnover in the uh, personnel here, but 
You know, I just I mean, feel like I would like I would have loved to get Buffkin back, but I honestly am not that sad to see the backs of Dickinson and Howard. Uh, I mean, I just Dickinson. I, I think Dickinson went as the team went. I think that watching Jet out there, knowing that he couldn't be coached because he's the coach's son, it was just it was a bad scenario. It it just it was supposed to be his team, and you didn't put enough around him to make it work. You know, if they had. Maybe I you know you can go back and say what if Jed had gone to Tennessee how you know and Kamala had transferred last year like how how different is this team um, but it, it's it's just going to be a different feel this is not a team that's going to get in a game against Ohio this is not a team that's going to get in a game against Eastern Michigan because they're focused on defense I think they're just going to be a lot more consistent and when you are this kind of team, they're going to just going to have offensive droughts. And they're going to lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to because they can only get 60 points on the board. But that's going to, even that's going to feel better. It's like, okay, they got their shots and, you know, a whole bunch of basketballs went off the heels. It, it, that happens, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think this is going to be a great team, but, you know, picking them 11th in the Big Ten seems excessively pessimistic because you, as the media, are just not accounting for the fact that the departed players by and large were awful defensively Mm -hmm. because that's just not how they roll. Now scoring will be a little bit of an issue, but you know, I feel like there's a recent paradigm of Michigan teams that are pretty successful despite having some scoring issues and Michigan will try to, to duplicate that. And really Terrace Reed is the most important player on this roster. Okay. Like he's like, you could get a lot of different things from Terrace Reed. Yeah. Yeah, right. and and they can't afford to lose him. By the way, like you talk about somebody who just changes the entire outlook of the team because he's really their only pure center. I don't think you can play all year with Kamwa at center. You really, really don't want Trey Jackson to have to do it, you know. No. And you don't want to go into your and your deep bench has nothing. Like they, they were supposed to have Papa Conte this year as the that guy, and they could still use somebody. I don't know what's going on with the transfer deal or whatever but like they 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 missed they missed on the guys they're going to put them over the top this year if the caleb love could have put them over the top if they got another center in the portal that could have put them over the top michigan's missions once again i think are going to leave us feeling like we needed one more guy to complete this team that being said they have a concept of the of what this team is going to be where last year you were kind of rolling between two different ideas because they couldn't be they they didn't have the focus to be the kind of team they wanted to be, which was Jet can be kind of hidden defensively because everybody else is a senior or you know in Hunter Dickinson's mode. It's it's not going to feel as bad, but it's going to probably just be one of those teams that makes the if they go to the Sweet Sixteen. This that's that that's the kind of team that this is, right? Like the t- teams that they're a team that barely makes the tournament and maybe gets the sweet 16 because they're annoying to play against and you know some shots go in yeah all right that's the basketball preview guys see you next week when we talk about a not very competitive football game Listen to the MGO podcast. I'm Seth Fisher, along with Brian Cook. 
I think that Craig Ross was on the podcast earlier. Matt D was supposed to be on the podcast, but wasn't. David Nasternak, I'm not so sure of, but we're pretty sure that Connor Stallions was not here. Thank you.